Welcome to Planet Innovators and the Average Joe. Brought to you by Tim. You are in the right place. Here you can get excited about the incredible work going on to protect and preserve our planet and listen to human stories behind the climate movement. In each episode, industry experts and entrepreneurs will help us understand your questions and share how they're leading the way in sustainable practices. Join us as we dive into discussions about topics that matter to you. As a startup, we really appreciate your support with our mission. Subscribe to our podcast and you can see our journey towards a better future. Hi, and welcome to Planet Innovators with Hi. An Average Joe. Super excited to be joined here by Georgia. Georgia is head of enterprise sales yes. at Undo. And reading out Undo's statement here, it's a leading carbon removal company on a mission to permanently remove 1 billion tonnes of CO2 from our atmosphere whilst benefiting communities and the local environment. Exactly. That's I love big, it. What a big mission what statement. What a big statement. Love that. But thank you so much for joining us today. Really appreciate Thanks your time. We're removing carbon at scale. We're trying to positively benefit local communities in, in the environment. But carbon removal as a general topic, it's, it's quite a, a complex and, and nuanced space. I'd say how we define carbon removal, that's something that we need to address today because there's a huge education deficit in the market. And today, what carbon removal means versus even just a few years ago, it's a very different area. Yeah, super interesting. Actually, you, I think, highlighted a certain area, which I know there's been a lot of discourse about in terms of the energy production that it takes to create carbon removal technologies. Yeah. Some people argue, well, actually, holistically, mm -hmm. looking at the bigger picture, mm -hmm. it's not necessarily at a point where that's actually beneficial. But in your case, you're already using something that has gone through an energy making process for something else. So actually, exactly. you're not having to deploy more energy into crushing rocks or... Ah, okay. Yeah, so it's a 95% efficient project. So when we're looking at um, carbon removal projects, you talk about an LCA, the mm. life cycle analysis, and ours is as low as 5%. And that's because, yes, at the moment, we are taking a byproduct because you're, you're using existing infrastructure, assets and the land. So, you know, we've got all the ingredients for carbon removal solutions. It's just how we unlock it, how we optimise what we've got in front of us. But if we are to get to this megaton scale and then gigaton scale, because we know if we're to achieve global net zero and stay within the Paris Agreement of this 1.5 degree variance. Carbon removal is unavoidable. We absolutely need it. To your first question, can we solve the climate crisis without carbon removal? No, we can't. We're behind where we need to be. But we need to, we need all the different types of projects that are addressing carbon removal solutions. But we need to try to find these scalable solutions. And one of them is enhanced rock weathering, mm. because there are billions of tons of silicate rocks that we can use for carbon removal that are available to us globally. Most of the rock, the Earth's crust is actually made of basalt rock, which is one of our silicate rocks that we use for this. So it's just about linking the dots and bringing together the right type of infrastructure so that we don't have to create these man-made machines that are sucking out CO2 from the atmosphere. They're fantastic, but it's slow to scale. And there is a carbon intensity nature to the types of projects. Well, as I said, yeah, they need to consume energy. And where does that energy come from? And what is the carbon footprint of that? Do you find, because obviously I imagine there is a lot of interest in businesses mm -hmm. to push forward to help CSR, B Corp, all the way through to mm -hmm. actual like tax benefits, etc. So there's obviously good momentum there. But there's also this concern around 
carbon removal, as I said, carbon offsetting. Yeah. Is it really, truly helpful? Is it just a tick box exercise? When you speak to the businesses that you speak to, what's the kind of feelings? You know, is there objections you have to get across quite early on? Mm-hmm. You know, what's the blocker to making sure every single farmer across every single place in the world is simply spreading, you know, this kind of rock weathered substance to help carbon removal? Yeah, so that's the, the million dollar question. What, what the challenges businesses are facing and what, what we're hearing from these corporates that are trying to achieve their climate goals and transition to net zero. So that, that's our, our key responsibility as a business. We are supporting companies transition to net zero. Um, and I think it's important to raise the elephant in the room, which is offsets, carbon removal. It's still a really polarised topic of discussion because I think historically and still today, what, what we do see in the press and with greenwashing is the perception that carbon removal or carbon offsets give businesses a license to avoid decarbonisation and to avoid reduction. Because ultimately, there is an absolute priority to focus on deep decarbonisation and reduction mm. until you get to the hard to abate residual emissions that you just cannot avoid. And that's where you involve a business like Undo. We support businesses to address those hard to abate residual emissions. But if you're following the science-based targets initiatives, a leading framework that encourage reduction, and then it's 10% or so of your emissions of your typical carbon footprint, you just won't be able to avoid. And so we do need to engage with carbon removals, but it's called the Wild West for a reason. There are so many different project mm-hmm. types out there. And questions arise from buyers what does great look like how do we define quality yeah that's really challenging because there is such a lack of standardization in the market today and so one of our challenges and one of our key responsibilities is is helping to define what good looks like um, and really educating that the buyers and the companies out there so that they know how they can best use an effective carbon removal strategy to support them to transition to net zero so i think Education is a big challenge. The market is still in its infancy. Mm. We've entered it. So the voluntary carbon market, that's where undo trade at the moment. It's only been around for, for 20 years or so. Carbon removal in isolation. And I'll explain that there's a difference between carbon reduction projects, carbon avoidance projects, and then carbon removal is this new arm. And then within that, there's high permanence removal, which yeah. is where enhanced rock weathering, direct air capture fits in. Typically speaking, when businesses associate the word offsets with with a carbon credit, historically, that's been typically around a reduction credit. So a project that exists to reduce the amount of carbon in the atmosphere or to avoid it completely. We are physically removing carbon dioxide from the atmosphere. And there are different types of projects that fall into that bracket. We've got trees, so reforestation projects, afforestation projects, and they're fantastic because They do remove carbon, but in terms of the permanency, you're looking at 100 years or so at best, and that's assuming the trees are not chopped down or they're not burnt down. That's why we're seeing a shift from buyers towards these higher permanent type projects, direct air capture. Fantastic because they immediately capture CO2 from the atmosphere. They essentially exist as like a vacuum to suck CO2 from the air and, and store it underground in tanks. Really easy to measure, permanent. But if you're looking at the carbon intensity of the projects or the co-benefits, like how how is that benefiting the environment? Very limited. And so enhanced rock weathering is taking all the benefits from a nature-enabled solution because you're taking the natural process of rock weathering but then you've got the added benefit that the co2 is stored and locked away for hundreds and thousands of years and it supports the environment because 
you're enhancing the soil, you're boosting the agricultural communities, helps restore ocean alkalinity. So buyers are also looking for other ways in which they can fulfill their ESG objectives. Mm. It shouldn't just be a carbon accounting piece. So those are a couple of the the challenges that, that we're facing, but largely it all comes down to education. I was about to ask, so effectively, if you think about, you know, we, we sell to businesses as well, right? And if you're selling renewable power, we have the same problem. Like mm-hmm. renewable power, 100% renewable, what does it mean? Doesn't really mean anything. You can buy certificates, it's pretty general, right? Mm-hmm. There is no additional benefit for a customer to think about in terms of a like a reason from an ESG principle mm-hmm. or certification principle to think about, oh, well, actually, is my power that's 100% green, is it actually time matched to my usage? Mm-hmm. Is it actually coming from dark green sources? Or is it coming from lighter green? So- to educate, mm-hmm. we we see effort, cost, and then benefit. Yeah. And the problem often is, is that a business can get the benefit from doing the least effort and the least mm-hmm. cost by just saying, yeah, I'm just going to go buy 100% green tariffs. Mm-hmm. For you as well, clearly, I'd imagine, in terms of when you think about that from a business standpoint, it might, is it cheaper for a business to just go buy some carbon credits for a forest that already exists that you know perhaps isn't actually doing the benefit, but ticks the box and allows them to put it into their accounting reporting versus something like yours, which clearly has a much more fundamental, deeper impact, but without the education potentially without the benefit being sort of shown of why that is more beneficial to the business. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Do you find yourself still competing with those other sources of businesses saying, yeah, actually, no, this is a tick box exercise for us rather than a really, why should we have to go to this level of care about deeper permanent removal of carbon, et cetera? It's a really good question. And I think there's two sides to this. One, obviously, we're operating within the voluntary carbon market. So it's all voluntary at the moment. There is limited legislation and incentivization for companies to buy this credit over this one. And and you're so right, because of the multiple project types and carbon credits that are available today, I think there's nearly or just over 170 different types of carbon credits you can purchase on the VCM today, the voluntary carbon market. But if you look at the cost variance of those, some tree credits can be sold as cheap as $5 a tonne, 5 to $20 a tonne. And then you're seeing the more engineered solution, the latest technology that's permanently removing CO2, these credits, so for a direct air capture, you're selling these or buying them, sorry, around five north of $500 per tonne. Okay. And so why would a company, yeah, why would a company yeah. buy a $500 per tonne carbon credit when they know they could source it for, for, for so much cheaper, um, at, you know, $10 a tonne? But it all comes down to how do we define what good looks like and, and, and what are the standards of excellence here? And because there is limited governmental policy and framework to, to really align these, it makes it really challenging. And that's why we're seeing new framework arrive from the Voluntary Carbon Market Integrity Initiative. They've defined the core carbon principles, mm. which help project developers and also buyers align on this framework. So looking for permanency, scalability, leakage, additionality, to name a few of these key criteria to define good quality um, carbon credits. But it, it's still um, it's still a big challenge because buyers will compare apples for apples. Yeah. But my comeback to that, so to speak, is you, you can't compare a tree credit to enhanced rock weathering credit because we're doing very different. Whilst we're capturing carbon, the carbon permanency, the storage, the benefits, it's a very different solution. And that's why I think often it's effective and we're seeing more and more businesses adapt this approach to take a portfolio approach where you're supporting multiple different types of projects. So you might have 
a batch of enhanced rock weathering credits, you might have some tree credits, you might support blue carbon projects like mangroves, direct air capture, and then you're able to deliver on a wide variety of um, ESG goals or your sustainable development goals, as well as effectively address those residual emissions with a range of high quality carbon credits. And that's why the Oxford Principles is a fantastic taxonomy that also provide a framework to, I guess, differentiate these types of projects. We need more Mm -hmm. so that buyers have greater confidence in what's available. And project developers are also looking for greater opportunities for us to instill confidence into why we're different to some of the bad actors in this space. So taking that principle of confidence and incentive into the actual project owners, mm-hmm. the the land where you're mm-hmm. dispersing your technology on, how, how do you benefit local communities? How do you even start that engagement yeah. process? Well, there's, there's so much that we do at that level, actually. It's, it's fantastic. And if you speak to some of our agricultural business development team that are engaging with the farmers and those rural communities, it actually all drives from word of mouth. So if we're working with one farmer, and just to be clear, so we spread silicate rock on farmland for free. It's completely free of charge for farmers. And it acts as a essentially an, a natural fertilizer because it boosts the pH, which makes micro macronutrients more readily available to crops. So some farmers will be using chemical fertilizers or when they lime their field, they're doing that to raise the pH. Applying silicate rocks has a similar effect. And so they're essentially getting a product and an asset for free for them. And as you can imagine, I mean, the the farming communities have really struggled with profits over the last few years. And so anything that we can do to support them, optimize the yield and the way in which they're adopting these landscape initiatives, is going to be extremely beneficial to those communities. And so if we can offer this to them for free, we then just need the the rocks to work their magic and we will monitor the benefit that this is having to, to the soil and the crops over, over the course of the year. So we take infield measurements before and after spreading. And essentially, there's a sense of farmer FOMO. Once the neighbour farmer see that it's working for Joe's farm, Bill will want to adopt the same solution. And then quite quickly, we, we're getting a lot of inbound interest from farmers that are saying, actually, we want to try this. This is fantastic. So this is the challenge then comes back to what you're talking about is how do you persuade a Microsoft that maybe 10x the cost? Yeah. Yeah. It's worthwhile still buying rock weathered carbon credits. Exactly. That that's that's the challenge. It's really creating a compelling narrative as to why this type of project should form part of an effective carbon removal strategy. Because I think it's it's difficult to say these credits are better, but it also depends on what that business is trying to achieve. Mm. What are their key climate objectives and how can we support them on that transition to net zero and and most businesses are taking a portfolio approach but where possible we we want to optimize our impact and we know that we've got a really scalable solution that can get us to a megaton scale and then form part of this gigaton scale pathway that's required to hit our global net zero targets but Imagine going up to a buyer and say, right, you're going to need 10x or even 20x of the budget that you had signed off last year. That's a tough sale. Mm. <laughs> but but it's it's the right thing to do because we know, I mean, the nature of our projects is quite OPEX heavy. It's very, very low, no margins in, in this because we're essentially buying this byproduct from the quarry. We're then hauling it. So we're transporting it within a 
you know, 25 to a 50 mile max radius to keep the footprint yep. as low as possible when we're transporting it. Then we spread it. And then there's the cost of the MRV, the measurement, reporting and verification. So the science, the methodology, that's where a lot of our investment has, has gone because whilst the field and science of rock weathering is by no means new, it is very much a new carbon removal solution that we're bringing and is being brought to the to voluntary carbon market. And so we've been part of the the first so we've helped co-develop the first methodology with puro earth that i think does instill greater confidence in this space but there's a lot of investment into the science that's required to constantly refine and essentially validate the weathering model that the co2 sequestration is is based on so we're continually taking in-field measurements to to validate Mm. that weathering curve so that we can demonstrate how much carbon dioxide is captured and i guess that's really important because to really make it worthwhile to your enterprise sales side, you need to give them information, packages that allow them to really understand mm-hmm. the benefits and then show off for, mm-hmm. for them from a CSR and from their own ESG perspectives as well. Do you see positive trends in, in the regulatory side that mm-hmm. can create that urgency? We absolutely need government intervention and the the push from a regulatory standpoint. Because you'd think that rising sea levels, the natural disasters, that would cause urgency, but it's it's not. We're constantly reminded every single week that we are at a, a point of climate crisis that is is nearly at a stage where if we if we, if we really don't start to prioritise this now, we're, we're not going to be able to avoid the irreversible effects of, of climate change. Undo and I, we remain very optimistic because we know the solutions exist. However, that's got to translate and come from government support and interaction, greater policy, greater standardisation so that this isn't optional, this is mandatory. And I think because it's not, to an extent, certainly there's a focus on decarbonisation right now. We need that to be the focus because that's where we're going to see the biggest change. However, we're not going to be able to get to the level of CO2 removal that's required without the intervention and without the support of these carbon removal projects. Of course, project developers like Undo, we need to create greater awareness, urgency, and I think it helps working with world-leading companies that have a fantastic reputation to start to stimulate that type of traction or to catalyze the market, the frontier fund, the, the largest advanced market commitment towards supporting climate technology in this space, that's acting as a huge accelerant to raise greater awareness around positive carbon removal projects that are able to scale quickly and deliver on many other wider co-benefits. I think we, we, we need government intervention, we need to increase our awareness and education, and we need businesses that have the capacity and the the financial ability to invest in these projects today because I think that it creates the ripple effect within those industries. If you see some of the market-leading businesses buy X, you, you start to then create great attraction and other businesses will follow suit and that's what we're seeing. So we need those things combined but ultimately until we have yeah, greater regulations around this space, we'll just be moving at a slower pace and we just need to ramp it up. It's something we're very familiar with in terms of crossing the chasm. Mm -hmm. You know, you can see, I'll give you an example in our space, you can see Google, Patagonia, Microsoft, they have structured these agreements to buy energy directly from renewable farms, wind turbines, etc. Very big contract, many, many months to put in place, hundreds of thousands of dollars to put in place. 
But by doing so, they are getting often more secure, cheaper power and like really advanced validation of where they're buying their power from in terms of the lowest kind of carbon output. But crossing the gap to get the 99% of businesses mm. who maybe don't have the luxury of the high profit margins, etc., who are already struggling to be able to try and do something like that. For us, it was quite clear, right? It has to be a cheaper, it has to be a price thing for the business yeah. where there is like a real improvement to the price they pay from a traditional market and it has to be effortless mm -hmm. because not every business can allocate an energy manager mm -hmm. who can spend months and months and months trying to structure these sort of very complex agreements, right? Yeah. And that, that's where our platform comes in. When you think about similar position, crossing that chasm from that 1% to the 99% mm -hmm. or even 0.1% yeah, yeah. to the 99.9% is one of the blockers. You mentioned education, I understand mm -hmm. that, but is one of the blockers that some of these businesses just simply, it's not profitable for them to buy these credits at this point, or they can't, they don't have the easy business case of saying, yeah, like Microsoft, if we mm -hmm. buy all of these credits, then therefore we can actually have the luxury of doing X, Y, and Z. It's more like we just don't have the budget to buy additional credits when we can just validate our current B Corp process or mm -hmm. ESG process with some minimum standards. Mm -hmm. I'm just trying to work out there, how do you, how do you cross that chasm in the absence of a stick from regulatory government saying you have to do this, which then becomes a tax. And as we've seen time and time again, and it does frustrate me is innovation in climate change can't leave people behind. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it can't make those that are suffering suffer even more in the mm -hmm. short term. But that has to be played out against, well, if we mm -hmm. do nothing, and if mm -hmm. we don't cross that chasm, it doesn't matter if the 1% are doing it. Yeah. Without the 99, I know. nothing's going to happen. And our world, you know, is going to be in, in real trouble yeah. in the next 50 years. Like, I'd love to just understand a little bit more about that crossing the chasm for you and, and where you think, yeah. you know, you're going to have to really sort of nail the, the value proposition from Undo's standpoint. Joe, if, if I knew what, what was going to unlock that chasm, it would make my life a lot easier. And that that's a live debate. That's something we're continuously working on at the moment. And so what keeps us hopeful and optimistic is we have got good momentum. There is good traction. But you're right. How, how do we unlock that 99%? And a lot of it is going to come down to cost. You've hit mm. the nail on the head there. But it's like, how do we drive down that cost curve quick enough so that we can really encourage action today? I think there's a few reference points whereby we're trying to get the cost of certainly high permits carbon removals as close to $100 per tonne. Yeah. At the moment, as we know, it could be north of $500, $1,000, enhanced rock weatherings floating around the $200, depending on the type of vintage or horizon you go to. So we essentially need to almost half our, our prices mm -hmm. as, as quickly as we can to get mass market engagement and adoption. And we're going to get there through a number of ways. The, the first one being scale yeah. with economies of scale, improving efficiencies as we unlock and activate new markets. I mean, undo. We're doing this quickly. We're looking at where we can source the right type of silicate rocks, the right land, have the right operation partners and farming partners. Unfortunately, for these types of solutions, globally, we, we can expand in across multiple regions of interest. And so we, we know there are ways in which improving our operational model can drive down the cost curve. And, and that's where also project financing comes into it. How do we finance these upfront? Because we know that the cost of sourcing the rock, transporting and spreading the rock and the science, the setting up of the MRV is high and, and costly. But the buyers, naturally, they don't want to pay for that all mm. upfront until they've seen that certificate come through also until they know that the carbon has been sequestered. And so we've got a challenge there of looking for effective and creative ways where we can project finance these operations. And I think that will also help drive down the cost 
price and the end price to, to customers. But in terms of looking into the future, going back to your previous question, today, roughly the carbon removal market is estimated between two and three billion in value. If we're looking at carbon removal and high permanence removal and in isolation, McKinsey predicts that to grow to 50 to 100 billion by 2030. So we're going to see huge growth. And that is when we will start to see um, that that chasm and the, the wider mass market engage in this space. Seems like there's a lot of hope there. <laughs> there is hope. There is hope. And you've it's seen change, right? Like we've seen it, you know, and, and I think... change, yeah. Crisis, as much as it can be problematic, like we even saw with the energy markets, it took an energy market exactly. crisis for every business to wake up and realise... Mm -hmm hold on, why is it happening this way? This doesn't seem fair. I don't like this. Mm -hmm. Things need to change. Mm -hmm. And I guess more and more as we see this happen to individuals and businesses when they see the direct effect yeah. and start asking the questions and becoming curious and also just realising like things aren't fair yeah, and therefore they should look into you know options for them to also improve their own impact on the world but also how that can cascade down to benefits to them and to their exactly. customers so seems like there's hope there there's there's a lot of hope and if we i mean if just look what, what's happened in the last six months the, the carbon removal market has nearly quadrupled in size from yeah. purchases made of jp morgan microsoft these advanced market commitments so that's what we've seen in you know six months imagine where we'll be in another six months in a year's time but we do need to get people on board, involved, mm. engaged, because without the support of these different stakeholders, we're just not going to be able to scale at the pace required. But we remain extremely optimistic at Undo. There's a lot of hope. We've got all the ingredients. We just got to use them effectively. And so from coming back to your personal journey, I promised yeah, we'd yeah. get there about <laughs> an hour ago. Have you had to learn very quickly? And like, how's it, how's it actually, you know, if you t think about the day you took the role? Yeah. How have you how have you managed to stay on top of that? You know, how have you managed to keep up with that learning curve also in a market that's also moving at pace as well? Mm -hmm. So it's compounded. Yeah, every day is a school day. The amount, I mean, to name an example, the amount of acronyms in the carbon oh, removal, goodness. I mean, the carbon removal CDR industry, there's one joining or being introduced every single day, which is, I mean, there's humour involved in that. So we have an inside running joke at Undo that we've got a dictionary just full of hundreds of acronyms in this space. But that aside, yeah, I've, I've had to, we, we've had to be extremely agile and adaptable as a business. And if you look at the team, I mean, there's 70 Undoers now. No. We've nearly doubled in size in the last year. So I joined right at the beginning of Undo being launched and being born as a, as a company and brand. And there was maybe 40 of us, now there's 70 of us. And we have just got such an inspiring team. I mean, a third of our team is made up of the science the science team, which I think is, is a good indication of, of where our emphasis is mm. as a business. And so ranging from agronomists, astrophysicists, microbiologists, there is such a talented team that myself and the commercial team can immerse ourselves in and, and learn from every single day. And certainly having not come from a scientific background, that is absolutely critical because if we're meeting sustainable leads, directors, businesses doing the technical due diligence on the science, we, we have to be very comfortable entering technical discussions. However, we know when to bring in a scientist mm. to dive into the nitty gritty. But I've just found this such an exciting space to join. And I think it's extremely inspiring seeing what we've been able to achieve in such a short period of time and the people that I've had the luxury of working with. But because we've been able to hire from cross-functionally across a myriad of different industries, you don't have to have a 
a certain background or education to, to enter the space. So I would really encourage people that have a passion to really make an impact and join environmental services or climate solutions, climate technology. There isn't one right way of, of doing it. I think you've, you've got to have the enthusiasm, the ability to learn and be adaptable and as long as you've got the right transferable skills, any, anybody can, can join this industry. But I think that certainly gives undo the dynamism of having such a great group of people coming from all sorts of different backgrounds. Yeah, so that diversity of thought, you know, it's the same for me. Why I do what I do is because I love learning each day. Mm. I don't get bored. I'm never <laughs> waking up on a Monday being like, I'm bored, <laughs> you know. And obviously having a mission that you're really passionate about helps, yeah. you know, loving what you do. But um, just being surrounded by really smart but very different people. Yeah. The website un-do.com is where you'll you'll find more about how we are working as a business and how we are trying to create this gigaton removal pathway that, that's needed. I mean, as you said at the beginning, the brand is just great. And I've actually got some basalt for you joe as a, as a takeaway that you can spread on your own pot plants or garden if you've got yeah you could also subscribe and, and sign up to address your own footprint if you're interested well, bribe me with uh rock. free free rock <laughs> got a little that's bag a, that's a first but i'm i'm there yeah as lame as it is now i think that's my zen moment is trying to look after the garden a bit oh, so you'll love this so, then yeah, yeah absolutely put it on later all right thank you so much for joining us and yeah we hope to speak again soon thank you thank you Thanks for listening. Share this with your friends and subscribe to stay informed and support a future powered by 100% renewable energy direct. We're on a mission to bring together innovators who are making a positive difference to our planet. Why not become a planet innovator yourself and send in your own topics and questions? We want to know what you're curious about and you might even end up on the show. To find out more, visit tim.energy. Anyway, that's all for now. Catch you in the next episode.